Hey everyone, welcome. This is Lucas Granger, lead pastor of Coastal Church. It is our hope that you will find this podcast today challenging, inspiring, and practical as we seek to reach the world with the life-giving message of Jesus Christ. Enjoy. Okay, so have you ever told a story? You ever just decided, hey, I'm going to tell, we're going to sit around this campfire, we are going to tell a story. Uh, oftentimes, you come to this place, this building, uh, this church, and sometimes I like to tell stories. Uh, oftentimes, after maybe a certain story is told, maybe you will leave, you will jump in your minivans and head to Jerome's for the all-you-can-eat buffet, making sure that you beat every other denomination out there. And somewhere at that table, you will begin to have this conversation. Hey, so what was told at church? What did you learn? What story was told? What scripture was read? What was your takeaway? And then at the table, maybe you're discussing, you're talking, and you realize uh, that's not what he talked about. And then somebody else tells the story, and like, I don't know what church you were at this morning, but that is not even close. And like, I've learned, I don't even ask people anymore. Hey, what did you learn? No, I don't want to know. Please don't tell me. But it's true, right? Like, there's, there's this story, and then there's different perspectives of that story. Um, what's amazing is the gospel, right? We have this gospel story that Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is being told by four different gentlemen. And they are giving us this beautiful story about the life, the death, and the resurrection of Christ. Now, what's amazing about it is that if you kind of look at their stories, you see where the stories overlap. You see where they intertwine. You see where Luke tells something that Jesus did, and Mark says the same thing, except for maybe just a little bit different perspective. John says something, and all of a sudden, as you read all four of these stories together, you begin to have this greater picture of the gospel, of all of this stuff that's happening. Now, here's what's really amazing. Imagine you, you are one of these writers, and you are sitting down to tell not just a story, but the story, like the greatest thing in all of history, and all of humanity, and you are going to tell this story. And, and you're writing down, and, and you're getting it all there, and, and you, you've, you've, you've done your research. You know, Luke, Luke is this historian, this, I mean, this doctor, and he's, he's, he's done his research. He's telling the story of Jesus, uh, John, Mark, all, all of these guys. And what's interesting is if you add all of these stories up, what, at the time, they were just written cons- consensually, that's not the word, consecutively, not consensually. That ain't the right word. It's like, welcome to Coastal. Grace and peace. Have a wonderful Sunday. That was worth it. I can't spell either one of those words. I shouldn't use words I can't spell. And uh, where was I at? Oh, yeah, the writing the story. But so later on, we're going to add these things called chapters and verses, which will make it easier for us to, to look up and say, hey, turn to this chapter, turn to this verse. And so uh, out of these chapters and verses, you add them, I think there's 89 of them. But here's one's interesting. Out of these 89 chapters and verses of you telling the greatest story ever told, 29 of them, a third, a third of the story is spent on the last week of the life of Christ. A third of the gospel is focusing on Jesus' life the last week. 
I mean, he's, he, he's grown up for the first 30 years. We don't hear much. And then for the, the, the last three years. And then there's just one week. And so whatever this week was about, this week was important. There's a lot of things that happen in the scriptures that's leading up this last week. So when we talk about the scriptures and we say, like, it is, or the gospel, the, the life and death and resurrection of Christ, like, the truth is there's a whole lot that's kind of leading up to really the passion of the Christ, the, the, the death, the cross, and his resurrection. And it's, it's all of these stories that said, like, don't miss this. Out of everything that we're saying, all of the miracles that we just told you, everything that's amazing that Christ has done in his ministry, like, but this thing, the cross, is central. This is important. Don't miss it. And so there's these, these stories, these moments, and over the next few weeks, coming up to Easter and even past it, I want to kind of take us on this journey towards the cross and ultimately towards resurrection. Now, we're going to read a portion of scripture here from Luke chapter 17. Luke chapter 17, beginning with verse 11. <clears throat> now, J- Jesus continued towards Jerusalem. Now, this could easily read Jesus continued towards the cross. Jesus continued towards resurrection. Jesus continued towards the ascension. Jesus continued towards the the culmination of all things, right? Like even right now, you are moving towards something, whether you realize it or not. We are moving in a certain direction, and there's come a point in Jesus' life where he's done this ministry, and he's like, now... No, for this reason, I've come, I'm moving towards Jerusalem because there is a cross that's going to happen. And his boys are even trying to talk him out of it. Like, Jesus, do you know what's going to happen here? And Jesus is like, yes. And so he's, he's dead set on moving towards this thing. As Jesus continued towards Jerusalem, he reached the border between Galilee and Samaria. Now, as he entered a village there, ten lepers stood at a distance, crying out, Jesus, Master, have mercy on us us. Now he looked at them and he said, go show yourselves to the priests. And as they went, they were cleansed of their leprosy. Now one of them, when he saw that he was healed, he came back to Jesus and he was shouting, praise God. He fell to the ground at Jesus's feet, thanking him for what he had done. And this man was a Samaritan. Jesus said, didn't I heal ten men? Where are the other nine? Has no one returned to give glory to God except this foreigner, except this this Samaritan? And Jesus said to the man, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. So here it is. There's this group of lepers Ten lepers, they're hanging out on the outskirts. They are living on the border. And what's amazing is that here is this uh, plurality of people here. There's not just Jews, not just Gentiles. There's these Samaritans. There's this blend of people, and they found themselves on the outside of the cities. They have been cast out, and they are living together. Now, this is important because the Jews and the Samaritans did not get along. The Jews and the Samaritans did not like each other. I mean, there was a rivalry that went back 
for the ages, right? Like, so the Jews just kind of consider themselves like they are God's chosen people, and they're gone, and they've conquered this land, and, and they've spread out, and there's all these things about not intertwining with, with different tribes. And so at one point, the Jews and uh, uh, the Assyrians got together, and then out of that came these Samaritans. And so if you were a Samaritan then, it was like you had some Jewish background, but you had some Assyrian background, and so you were just kind of an outcast, and you were not quite in, but not quite out. And so there was all of this tension between the Jews and Samaritans. And so to find them living and dwelling together in this place is actually some kind of miracle. It's kind of like Tar Heel fans and Duke fans living under the same roof, like just getting along. Like this doesn't happen, right? But it's like, guys, they're both from Carolina. Can we not just get along? No, we can't, apparently. And so that's that's what it is. This is this group. This is this band of brothers that were looked at as unworthy, the lower caste. When people came by, they had to shout out, unclean. And they're side by side. And I just got to thinking, the thing that brought them together was their suffering. Their suffering is what brought them together together. Um, there's this old story I was reading about a few weeks ago from World War I. Um, it's called uh, uh, The Miracle Christmas. And during World War I, there was uh, intense fighting going on back and forth. Uh, British troops in, entrenched in, in certain lines, and then you've got the Germans entrenched in certain lines. And there was pr- certain parts of the battle where these guys were even just 20 yards apart. So imagine, like, being on this side of the room, and there's a trench, and being on this side of the room, and there's a trench, and you've got literally thousands of men in these trenches trying to kill each other, just shooting back and forth for days on end. All of this happening. And, and it's getting ready to come up to Christmas time. The battle had been going on for a while. And even the Pope had said, listen, it's about to be Christmas. Can we not have a truce? for the season, even just for the day, and it just, it wasn't going anywhere, nothing was happening, they said this would be impossible, they thought it was a trick, and then they would just try and kill us as we came out for this truce, but something happened on Christmas Eve. On Christmas Eve, the story goes like this, that amongst certain men in these trenches, they began to sing songs, and as they began to sing these songs, the counterpart would hear the songs, and then they would sing back to them. And so you've got these two groups of men that are trying to kill each other, singing these songs back and forth. And it would stop, and it would start. And before long, even some of these guys begin to actually come up out of the trenches. And there's stories of them gathering around, even these making little miniature Christmas trees, gathering together, even some sharing meals together. Now, what makes this so amazing is that it just didn't happen in a small little segment, but it actually happened in hundreds of little segments all throughout the land where this war was taking place. And no one can explain why, why would this happen? How did this happen? There was, there was so many people giving their opinion on, on how this happened for this Christmas season. And there's one particular gentleman that gives an explanation that I thought was pretty amazing. He said this. He said, the fact is that this truce happened... Because it just wasn't one truce, it was actually thousands or or hundreds of little tiny truces that had taken place over the last few months. 
See, over the last few months, these men being so close, their proximity so close to each other, they, that meant not only did they have this kind of shared battle going before, but they also had shared pain. They had shared suffering. And so when it got really cold, they were all really cold. He said that there would be nights when it would be cold and rainy and freeze and, and the gunfire would just stop. Because one side knew, man, if they're feeling anything like I'm feeling, like, let's just, let's just die it down for the night. He said, being so close, being that their proximity was so close, there would be times where, where they would be hungry, they would be starving, someone would cook a meal and they would smell the scent and the battle would kind of stop. He said there would be times where, where diff- different truces would happen, there would be di- uh, bodies laying out in between this land and they'd actually go and recover the dead and just, okay, just hold on, let's stop for a minute. So there was all of these little truces all united by their pain, all united by their suffering that led up to this big truce. Now, um, the church is almost, uh, next year we will celebrate 10 years. And in these 10 years, I've, I, as a pastor, I've gotten to spend, uh, I don't know how many hours inside of hospital rooms. And, and oftentimes, uh, I'll get a call or I'll end up in the emergency section of the hospital. And if you've ever been in the emergency section, there's this little outside seating area where you sit and, uh, as someone's get, getting their help. And, man, just hours and hours of sitting in the worst place on the planet. And I'm there, right? No one wants to be there. No one wants to be sitting in the emergency room of the hospital because, man, that means something has gone wrong. There's pain, there's suffering, there's hurt, there's loss. And I'll be there and I'll be waiting and people will begin to join the room or people will already have been there. And and I'll see this happen time and time again. Somebody will be there, another gentleman, another lady will walk in and they'll say, well, well, what's, what's going on with you? What, what, what's happening? What are you here for? And then people will begin to share their pain. I'm here for my liver. I'm here. I got a blood transfusion. Uh, my, my niece is sick. My uncle, uh, he, he suffered this trap. And there's all of this pain and suffering, and they begin to share it back and forth. And you would kind of think that the atmosphere would turn into this kind of like, oh. But it actually in, turns into this kind of, oh, yeah, me too. Oh, yeah, I, I, yeah, yeah, I, I know what you're going through. This happened to me as well. This happened to my, uh, I know the pain of cancer. I know the pain of, of, of suffering through this. And all of a sudden, like in this hospital waiting room, you just kind of see this unity coming together. And, and it doesn't matter if you're black or white or rich or poor or, or what your status is. It's just we are sharing this pain together. We're sharing this hurt together. And, and, and I think that's, that is the, the point in which these lepers have found themselves. They have, they have found themselves sharing the pain, sharing the hurt, but they are very careful to remain at a distance. They're very careful to remain at a distance because the law was, listen, if you're unclean, you can't get by anybody. The, the priest has pronounced you unclean, and you've got to Stay on the outskirts. Don't, don't touch anybody. Don't have any human interaction. You are now not fit for society. You are unworthy. You are unclean. So much so that if somebody even tries to get close to you, you've got to let them know unclean. Like that is your job for the rest of your life, to keep people away from you because you are that bad. You are that messed up. 
And, and I got to think, I wonder, in this moment, where they've been looked at as the worst of society, I wonder if they were closer to humanity in that moment than maybe they've ever been their whole life. See, because before this, the Jews and the Samaritans, they would not come together. Before this, maybe their life was full of anger and hatred and bigotry and racism, all because, like, we don't get along with those people, and we don't. And so you guys stay over there. You stay in your country. We'll stay in our country. And I just wonder, now you have these people coming together in their pain and their suffering. Maybe now, for the first time, they're actually free. Maybe for the first time they're actually feeling what it is to have a band of brothers, but it's different from what I thought it might look like. I remember, not this was uh, back uh, quite a quite a while ago. I can't remember if we were me and my wife Devin were still if we were just engaged or just been married. Not sure which one it was, but we found ourselves we were in Texas, and. We had a way tonight, we were in Dallas, and we had a way tonight to, to catch the next flight to, back to, to Orlando, I think we were going. But we're there, and um, Devin's grandma uh, had a place closer to the airport, so we were going to stay with her grandma. And um, we're there with her grandma in Texas in the summertime, and Devin's grandma is like 97,000 years old. I mean, she is... quite simply the oldest person on the planet and I think there's a rule when you get old like once once you're over the age of 72 you feel the need to set the thermostat to whatever age you are (laughs) so she's like yeah I'm just gonna set it to 97 and her house was literally a sauna and and I'm half I think yeah we're we're still engaged because I had to sleep on the couch or something Devin's in the other room and her couch is like the couch with the plastic. <laughs> and there's like seven gallons of sweat. And I'm just like, oh my, I'm going to die in this house. And we wake up in the morning. Her grandma comes out and she's got like a sweater and a robe on. And I'm just, what are you doing, lady? I'm like trying to sponge off of the couch. And she's like, good morning, honey. And you're like, would you like some breakfast? I'm like, I need some water. I'm dehydrated. It's crazy. So we're sitting down, we're eating breakfast together. It's me and Devin, and we're the we're these two little young, naive kids, and you know, grandma's we're talking, and she starts asking me a few things, and somehow it comes up in. Uh, I was telling her about my time in Indonesia, and I was talking about how uh, I spent a lot of time with with Muslims and Hindus, and whenever I said the word Muslim, it like set her off. I mean, she went post-traumatic stress disorder, whatever that thing is. Like, she went, she went there, and the lady just started yelling at me. I'm like, when you're in a 2,000-degree in a, in a house with a 97-year-old woman yelling at you, and you're just trying to eat your pancakes, you're like, I don't, I'm sorry, I apologize. I mean, and she just, and so she starts saying how all Muslims are terrorists. I mean, she's just letting me have it. And so she kind of let, and I was kind of like, well, I was like, actually, not all Muslims are terrorists. You know, they're, they're people that just need Jesus, just like you and me. And, and like, she didn't hear that the way it came out. <laughs> and Devin, like, thank the Lord Jesus, she stood up for me. Grandma, you are ye- yelling at him. 
And she just like, she went, she went out of that mode and she was just like, oh, okay, would you like some more pancakes? <laughs> and I'm just scared for my life. I don't know what's happening. I'm just like, oh, okay, I, I don't understand. And, and like later on, I'm just talking to Devin. I'm like, I don't know what's happened with your grandma, but she's got something, you know, like, are we cool? Like, can we still get married? I don't know. Like, I just don't know if this is, and, but I just, we were talking, it's just, whatever it is, she's learned to keep these people at an arm length because they represent hurt, they represent pain, they represent terrorism to her. And and, and she, she wasn't able to see that, like, but you're a terrorist too. Like, you are trapped in the same sin that they are that you too are in need of a savior. And by keeping them at arm's length, do you realize you're actually keeping yourself at arm's length too? Because we, we get this in our mind, we get this in our mind about people of us like, no, these are the people that are out and these are the people that are in and, and, and I'm an insider, right? And it's like the truth is like we all need Jesus. We were all these, this leper. We were all the ones standing at a distance, finding ourselves as the outsider. And, and when I love what happens next because it says they cried out, just have mercy. They cried out. Now, this would be something that would be incredibly hard for a leper to do. Because the leper, once, if you know anything about the disease, it starts to like your body literally breaks down, falls apart. And, and one, of the, one of the things that happen is your vocal cords would become so stressed that if you talk, it would kind of sound like this. And so for them to shout out in a loud voice, Jesus, have mercy, you could just imagine the scenario of Jesus, mercy, the pain that they would feel just a mercy. I could just see one guy, there he is, but we've gotta stay at a distance, mercy. Guys, I can't do it by myself. Come on, join in with me, all of us together. Mercy, Jesus, have mercy. And so 10 voices, 10 straining voices, all coming together, all united by their pain, all united by their suffering. Mercy, mercy. Mercy, Jesus, everything within them, mercy, mercy, crying out together past their racism, past their economic status, past their even beliefs or thoughts, all because, listen, we've got to get the attention of Jesus. And I can't do it loud enough on my own. We've got to come together. Help us make this noise because if we can get loud enough, then he might hear us. Now, let's get something straight. Like, we know that Jesus hears everything. Matter of fact, he knows your thoughts before you even think them. And yet, he still tells us, listen, pray. <laughs> like, right? Isn't that kind of, well, Jesus, you know, but Jesus, Pray. Say it out loud. And see, there's something special about when we say what we're feeling out loud. And there's something even more special when we say it amongst a group of other brothers and sisters when we come together. See, we could worship, and we do, and we worship by ourselves. I mean, but there's something special when we come together to worship Jesus. 
His presence comes in such a way that, man, it's this, it's just amazing. And so these, this, these groups of lepers are coming together and they're crying out with one voice, just have mercy on us. Because if we're not careful, we could fall into the illusion that, no, we've, we've got it all together. We're okay. I know we're here on the outside, but it, everyone has just told us we're dirty. And the truth is maybe it's gone on for so long that we've began to believe it. We began to believe, well, this is where I belong. As a matter of fact, the priest sent us out here and he told us how dirty we were. You're not welcome here anymore because you're addicted to drugs, addicted to alcohol, because you've done this, you have that, because you are a Duke fan. (laughs) And you are not allowed in this space anymore. And I wonder, I wonder sometimes, why is it that we don't reach out to those that are marginalized? And I think, I wonder the motivation of our heart, is it if we reach out to them, that means we've got to go where they're at. And are we afraid that just like these guys, if we get too close, they'll make us unclean too? Or or, or maybe we're afraid that if we get too close, maybe other people will see us with these people and think that we are like that too. And I just find it interesting that time after time, whenever you actually look at the life of Christ, whenever people would look at him, like they would call Jesus a drunkard and a glutton and a friend of sinners. Why? Because Jesus was close to these people. And, And the people that it really irritated were the Pharisees. And the Sadducees, the people that had a form of godliness but denied the power of it. Come on, somebody. Y'all know what I'm talking about. I just wonder. Like, I, I just think that God lives and breathes and moves in these places that we often don't think he's at. I, 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 I have gotten the honor and privilege. I've, spent a lot, I've gotten to speak in front of uh, Muslim colleges in, in, in Hindu fist festivals, and I've loved it. I've had a blast. It's like, are you worried about being, like, I'm not worried at all. Like, I, I, th- I want to light up the darkness. And the words of Bob Marley, come on. Because light shines better in the darkness. Are we content just being light in places that are already light? I mean, there's already light up in this place. There's already, it's easy to be a Christian in an atmosphere like this. It's easy to roll up to church and be all, hey, brother, sister, love ya. It's another thing to be all, brother, sister, love ya, when your boss is dropping F-bombs on you Monday morning. I want to be light in the darkness. And Jesus is saying, this is where I've called you to. This is where you're supposed to be, on the outskirts, on the borders, where people are there. Because the truth is, we've called them unclean, but they're crying out for mercy. And they're looking for a savior. And so they dwell there. They dwell on the border. And I would, I would submit to you this morning that this isn't just a physical place, but this is an emotional place. This is a mental place. This is an economic place. This is a place where we find ourselves constantly living on the border. It's too much Jews to be Gentiles, too much Gentiles to be Jews. They're not quite in, but not quite out. I, I, I'm married, but I'm not quite in love. 
I'm breathing, but I'm not quite alive. I, I, I'm doing all the right things, but it's, it's not paying the dividends. I, I'm, I, I'm not living in this blatant sin, but the truth is I'm not living in love either. I'm too hot to be cold. I'm too cold to be hot. I'm somewhere caught on the border. I'm on the edge. Like, what if we were to graph your joy? If we were to put it on a chart where, man, Sundays I'm joy. Mondays, I'm not. Tuesdays, I'm not. I mean, your joy chart would look like a ride at Six Flags. Wednesdays, I did a, I did a, I was mad, and then I was, right? And then all of our life, like, it looks like this roller coaster. And God's like, man, I came to give you joy no matter what. I came to give you peace no matter what circumstances may face your way. Amen. That there would be something greater that I put in you that, that, than, than anything in the world. That you could have peace in the midst of all kinds of chaos and craziness. But sometimes I think we just live on this border and it affects our relationships. And so we keep all of our relationships on the border. We keep all of our relationships surface. So much so that when something goes really good, we don't know who to call because we, we don't, we're not quite sure if they're our friends or not. We're not quite sure if they'll celebrate with us or not. Or if they'll stab us in the back because we've kept that relationship just on the surface. Man, we, we don't know. When, I, when I've got my pain to share, I don't know who I could share this with. No one to share my joy. No one to share my pain because I'm not sure. And so we've deluded ourselves into this false reality that, which, that says, I will find my joy from what I do. I will find my joy from how many likes I could get on Facebook. I will find my joy for how many people will pat me on the back and tell me I'm doing a good job. I will find my joy on, on how many Instagram followers I have. And we, it's this kind of like rush of adrenaline, this rush of joy of like, okay, that makes me feel good for a second. Until the next time, wait, nobody liked that post. Nobody told me I did a good job today. My boss didn't encourage me. And, I don't know, and then all of a sudden, it just looks like this, six flags, Roller coaster, I don't know, I, I, I don't understand, God, why is it working? I'm living on the border, I'm, a, I'm in a crowd of people, and yet I'm lonely. I'm living on the edge, I'm living on the border, and the truth is we've been living on this edge, we've been living on this border for so long that it's like a volcano getting ready to explode. Because we've pushed it all in. And the truth is like, I am just one flat tire away from burning this house down. You know what I'm saying? I am one slow driver on Highway 17 away from just going postal on y'all. Just, oh, oh I, one more person spell checks me on Facebook. I am going to, I don't care you are apostrophe art. I don't care about that. You know, and you're just on edge. You're just ready to fight. You're just, man, oh, have you ever come home and you just look in your wife's eyes and you're just like, she's on edge. <laughs> you know, I, what's for dinner? I don't even care. I don't, I'm not hungry. Come on, kids. Let's just back away. Just, let's go play in the yard today. Mom's on the border, y'all. She is about to snap. Right? Let's go play in the yard. And, like, the thing is now we're in this apartment and we don't have a yard. So I'm like, all right, kids, let's, you're on your own. 
Y'all need to pray for my kids. Oh. <laughs> it is. Like, but we, like we are, America as a whole, we're just on edge. I mean, it just takes one little thing, and I am ready to snap, y'all. I mean, oh, nice and good. And then, boom, volcano happens. Whoa, what just happened to Pastor? He went on edge, on edge, on the border. On the border. I could just, just see this moment, this cry of desperation, living in this constant state of separation. Uh, I, I could come to church, and I'm close enough to hear the music, but I'm still far enough away where I can't actually enter in, where I'm desperately in need of a Savior But the truth is, he's still over there, but I still feel unclean. And so I'll just try to cry from a distance because I can't touch him because he doesn't want me to come close. The priest told me I couldn't go close. As a matter of fact, right now, I'm actually kind of doing everything I can not to say unclean. I'm just doing everything just to cry out for mercy because just maybe he will have mercy on me desperately in need of a savior. And here's what I love. I love how Jesus responds to him because it's not the the response you would think he would have. You would think that he would see this group of lepers. He would see the unity. He would see them coming together. He would hear the cry for mercy and just be like, boom, you guys are healed. Like just fairy dust, right? But Jesus doesn't do that. You know what he does? He says, listen, go. Go to the priest. Now, this is interesting because this is, would actually be fulfilling the law. Because if one thought that they were clean, they would have to go back to the priest, and then the priest would have to announce them clean for them to be welcomed back into the community. But this is the very same priest who pronounced them unclean to begin with. And so Jesus is sending them back to the place of their rejection, back to the place of the hurt. Matter of fact, this is the last place in which we had contact with someone inside the community, and their last words to us were, we were unclean. And you want us to go back to that, Jesus? And Jesus just says, go. And, and, and they do. They leave. But here's what's amazing. This healing happens to them on their way as they're moving. What's important is this. They're not healed until they started moving in the direction in which God told them to go. They weren't healed until they started moving in the direction in which God told them to go. And God is telling them to go into a direction which is very much remembrance of pain and suffering and hurt. And it's already gotten this bad, God, and you're wanting me to go back to that? And God's like, yep. And they do it. And all of a sudden, I could just imagine this walk back. They're going back to the priest, and all of a sudden, man, you're talking a little, feeling, man, healed healed. All, all, all of this happens. And, and, and one of these dudes is like, bro, I got to go back and tell Jesus. He goes back to Jesus into which Jesus is like, this guy, wasn't there 10 of you? And yet the only one who comes back is the Samaritan. The one who returns is the guy who no one thought would return. The, the, the unexpected person and this, this, this part here in the scriptures at, at the end here where Jesus is pointing this out, he says this again to him. He says, stand up and go. Your faith has healed you. But actually, if, if you have it, your scriptures, there's a little, uh, little asterisk right there at the end of verse 19. 
And because the actual word there isn't your faith has healed you, the word there in the Greek is your faith has saved you. Your faith has saved you because they're already healed. All all ten of them got healed, but one got saved. All all, all ten of them got their healing, but one returned to the presence of Jesus and didn't just find healing in his body, but he found salvation for his soul. I'm going to ask the worship team to come back up. When we started this story, we found ten lepers at a distance. When we end the story, we find one son at his feet. We have ten lepers at a distance. Now we have one son at his feet. And Jesus is now telling him, go. Not just to go back to, to a priest, but he's going and sending them out with purpose. He's sending them out with peace for his soul. And the truth is, we all start at a distance. We all have been marred by sin and shame, and it took the blood of Jesus to bring us close. And as Jesus walked towards Jerusalem, as Jesus walked towards the cross, he knew the price that he was about to pay. But he did it so he could take all of us who were unclean and bring them close to make us clean and spotless and pure. If everyone would please rise to their feet. Ten people got healed. One person got saved. The thankful and unthankful alike. The grateful and ungrateful alike. The scriptures tells us it rains on the just and unjust alike. You can get healed this morning and still remain at a distance. You can get everything you're looking for from Jesus and still not know him. You can experience great miracles and still remain beggars at a distance. You want to know one of the secrets here? One of the secrets, I believe, is to enter his presence with gratitude. See, one one dude came back and was just like, I can't go another step further. I know it's going to be great to get back among these cities. It's going to be great to, to get back and have this human. Before I take another step, Jesus, I just want to let you know that I'm so grateful. I'm grateful for what you've done for me. I'm grateful for, for what you've brought to my body. I'm thankful for your healing. I'm thankful for your salvation. I'm thank you for your touch. Jesus, I'm just so, I'm so grateful. See, there's something, like whenever, let me tell you this little trick. If you're trying to look for the Lord, start with gratitude. Sometimes our prayers just start with, Jesus, if you can do this for me. And there's no problem with that. Jesus has no problem with us letting our petition be known and heard. He wants you to spill it all out before him. But when when we enter with gratitude, when we enter with God, before, before I get into my list of things I need you to do for me, I want to let you know I'm grateful for what you've already done for me. I'm grateful for the cross, Jesus. I'm grateful that you came and stepped out of heaven and into humanity and while we were yet sinners, died for us when I didn't deserve it. Lord, I'm grateful. Lord, I'm thankful. And Jesus, I don't want to live on the border anymore. I don't want to live just kind of halfway in and halfway out 
God, I don't want just my healing. I want peace for my soul. I want a joy that's in your presence forevermore. We hope you enjoyed today's podcast. If you would like to explore more resources just like this, take a moment and download the Coastal Church app. Also, if you would like to give financially to support the ministry here at Coastal, go to mycoastalchurch.com slash giving. God bless and have a wonderful week.